When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the 1871 podcast and a special episode for you tonight with former Reading Chronicle sports editor Roger Ware. And Roger's been a Royals fan for coming up for 72 years. Yes, you did hear that right. Nearly 72 years. And welcome to the show, Roger. And uh, I'm pretty sure it's the first time I've said that to any of our guests. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Yes, goodness me. And uh, if you want to add in a real personal touch in there, if you go back about 50 years, I remember babysitting you while your mum and dad went out on the town. That's so, it. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> that makes me... No, feel... I didn't mean 50, I meant 30. Yeah, no, you were right the first time. Um, yeah. Anyway, go so, on. So before we get started, um, just wanted to let the listeners know that our guest on tomorrow's episode is former Royals defender John Mackey. So that's available from 6.30pm tomorrow. Um, Now, I thought about this one in advance, Roger, and and we've been talking about how it might go. And seeing as you've got nearly 72 years worth of stories to tell uh, about supporting Reading, we're going to see how we get on. And if needed, we might do a part two. Uh, Who knows? We might need more than two parts. But we'll we'll get started and, and see how it goes. So... Okay. Firstly, firstly, before we go back to the beginning, I'd like to um, ask you what you make as a supporter for, you know, all those years um, of, of what's going on at the club at the moment. Because I know that like many Reading fans, you, you're actually quite worried about what the future might hold, aren't you? Yes, it's, um, it's a very tricky situation at the moment, not least because we don't really know the people who are in charge, um, at least in Sir John's day, we knew Sir John. Uh, we knew about the Russian guy, but not all of it was great. Uh, we knew about the Thai people, but the uh, the Chinese chap and uh, his chief executive seem to be not secretive, but certainly don't put themselves out in, in public too much and don't make too many public comments. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it, you feel a little bit detached from it now. And um, being absolutely brutal about it, if the guy ever walks away, the club would be in big trouble. 
Mm. Um, it's um, it's that serious at the minute. Yeah. I mean, luckily, he's luckily he's he seems to be hanging on in there. He seems to be putting money in, which is great. You can't knock him for that. I mean, the um, the, the training facility is uh, is amazing, isn't it? A bare word. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And uh, and he has funded, albeit some of it evidently in the wrong way, um, so, uh, to keep the club uh, ticking over as it is. Yeah, and um, I can see you're you're on the call with your your Reading shirt on, and I can see in the background um, at least two or three shirts from previous seasons. One going all the way back to Robin Friday's day, which is yeah, the big hoops, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to have the Robin Friday shirt if you're a Royals fan, haven't you? Um, or was it? It was still biscuits then, I think, wasn't it? Just about still biscuits. Well, I was going to ask you about that, and and now you've mentioned it, we might as well talk about it now because you you were at the Chronicle. I think it was the Berkshire Chronicle in your was, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, when I joined, um, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. And and I think I'm right in saying that the it was the Chronicle actually who was responsible for giving the Royals their their Royals nickname in the 70s, and and it was actually a, a, a Reading fan. Um, Bob Tanner, I think, um, if memory serves me correct. Yeah, well, yes, I know his, yeah. uh, his son, Paul, yeah. That's it, yeah. And and he won uh, a competition um, after coming up with the Royals as a suggested nickname. But can you remember any of the other suggested nicknames, Roger? You know, I can't. It was exactly after I'd left. Um, so I don't really know, but... Um... Well, it's a bit of a liberty, the Royals, really, because that's winter, isn't it? It's, um, I suppose, Royal County, and we get away with it on that basis. I'll tell and you it, what, if you, if you can ever find a book with the, the entries, it'd be interesting to see some of oh, the yeah. suggestions, won't it? But let's, um, let's go back to the start. Your first match, 1950, before that's most right. of us who, you know, myself <laughs> and, and most of the listeners, I guess, were, you know, born. Um, November 1950. Tell us, tell us about your introduction to to Reading football. Yes, birthday treat, birthday treat. Must have been about um, seventh birthday, and um, my dad was a big Reading fan. Uh, my uncle Eric was, my uncle Bill was, and we all lived in Crowthorn. We used to go to every, or they used to go to every home game, and they decided to let me join in as a birthday treat, and. Uh, we went along, we went as we always did in a coach from Crowthorn. Um, it was good in those days how uh, people from the outskirts, I mean, there was always a coach load from Crowthorn, from Burfield, from Mortimer, everywhere around the place. Um, but we used to go and coach and, um, yeah, they'd let me join in as a birthday treat and Reading won 7-0. And I thought, wow, goodness me, hey, that's fantastic. Always going to be like this. And then the following Saturday, they lost 5-0 at Newport. So, um yeah, it wasn't always like that, and it hasn't always been like that. And that first, the first game was Brighton, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah, 7-0. Um, my hero, who became my hero, Ronnie Blackman, um, was among the goals that day. And that um, no, was fantastic. And we always used to go and stand in the same place, on the corner of the um, the South Bank and the Tireless End, um, on the slope on the corner there. And um, great view of, uh, of the of the ground. And the, the real treat in those days was that, uh, little kids could go and sit on the wall, which you'd never get away with. Now, sometimes even inside the wall, you know, you'd, you'd get to sit on the on the track around the uh, the pitch if it was a really big crowd. And um, yeah, that was a great thrill as well. 
can imagine you know when the players come over and take a throw in and you can give them the ball and you sat beside them and oh goodness it was great and um it, 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 i got through well from there on um watching as a fan and then when i joined the chronicle um that was another thrill because all of a sudden uh, i could get to mix with people that i'd only ever seen as as players out on the pitch and it was so exciting, you know, people like, well, goodness me, I'd, I'd been supporting them for all those years. And then all of a sudden, there I am uh, actually talking to them. And uh, and especially three or four years later, there were still some players there, Jimmy Wheeler, Dougie Webb, people like that, who had been in the teams that I'd supported as a kid. And they were still there when I was at the Chronicle and started out as a junior with your dad, actually. Your dad was there as well, of course. That's it, yeah. And, um, yeah, we... we um, yeah, I used to go to functions and things and, and meet the chairman. And goodness me, what a thrill, you know. It's um I near actually did the, the I nearly got <laughs> first job I went for was at WH Smith's. And then I saw a job advertised at the Chronicle and I thought, oh, I love that. Love to be a newspaper reporter. And um yeah, lo and behold, got the job. And but to I say to, to go in there and especially once they discovered that um, on your dad as well and myself were really interested in football. Um, then the senior people took us along to games and, uh, and introduced us to, to people there. And oh, I was fantastic. Just loved yeah. it at that time. And um, especially as I say, to meet some of my heroes and um, to be on first name terms with them. Goodness me. Well, we've, uh, you know, my time supporting Reading goes back to the, the eighties and my heroes were, Trevor Senior, Martin Hicks, Michael Gilks, Kevin Bremner, and, and three of those have already been guests on the podcast. So that's, yeah, that's fantastic. Too, that's yeah. something something special for me as well. <laughs> and, and Roger, in terms of highlights and you know the players you saw, we already mentioned Robin Friday, of course. You know what what do you remember about watching Reading in, in the fifties and then the sixties, and who were your kind of the, the standout players from from those two decades? Well, in the in the fifties, it was certainly Ronnie Blackman because he got all the goals. Um, in fact, I think he's still the top scorer in league matches uh, for the club in a season. Um, Trevor Senior, I think, has got more overall, but I think Ronnie Blackman got the most in a season. And one of my big regrets, really, was never getting to meet Ronnie Blackman. I mean, he'd gone by the time I got on the on the Chronicle. But um, but no, Dougie Bud, Jimmy Wheeler. Um, the, the goalkeeper was George Marks, and I used to be a goalkeeper when I was a kid. So, and then David Jones, um, who played in goal, um, and Jonah recently, or say recently, within the last few years, I've seen him at the at the Madstad. So he's still around and uh, and following the club, as a lot of those guys are. Um, who else was there? Was a goalkeeper called Dave Meeson as well. But so particularly the goalkeepers, I was was interested in. But Dave Jones, I guess, was a, was the real hero. And uh, when we played football in the park, as you did then, you've got to be someone. And I was always uh, Dave Jones. And if I was on the field, I was Ronnie Blackman. Yes. Roger, you and I have got something in common at Elm Park because we've both done the the PA system. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, And and Jim Jim Brooks used to do it, um, former director, (laughs) remember Jim. Um, You know, so that must have been fun for you because it certainly was for me. It was. I don't know. I think you probably had the same, uh, in quote, facilities that I did. I think It was a a rickety little turntable um, in a little box at the back of B stand. And um, the problem I used to have was, I mean, used to do it with records then, 
before even tapes were, were coming along. And the problem I used to have was if somebody sat down in front of the box and leaned back, it jogged the record, which uh, was not too clever. But, well, it, was, um, it, was fine. it was vinyl when I did it as well, back in, in those days in the 80s yeah. when uh, when my dad was a, a director. Um, and, and it was... It, it was a box, wasn't it? And, and I had a. Well, you was, yeah. I had a um, column in the program called "In the Box," and that was that was a program. Yeah. But um, obviously, you, you know, you started off as a fan, and you're still a fan, and you were a fan throughout all your years reporting. But um, it's difficult, isn't it, sometimes to get a balance, and uh, you know, as a reporter, and then you went on to become oh, yeah. sports editor of the Chronicle. Um, how did how did you sort of ever achieve that? Uh, it was very difficult. Um, I mean, luckily in those days, I suppose expectations are, are not what they are today. Um, the team was always yo-yoing around third and fourth division, um, so there was never any thought really of going through to the well. It was Division One, then it wasn't the Premiership, but um, there was never a thought of that. Um, no, it, it was difficult because everybody's got their own opinion, and um, you'd find. I mean. I was known um, around sporting circles because I had my picture in the paper every week and I had the column in the paper and I was known at the club and so on and so on. And people would, I mean, you'd be on a quiet night out with the girlfriend and people would come over and say, what about Saturday? Did you really? What are you going to say about that this week in the paper? Then, Oh, goodness. And uh, too much of that went on. But uh, no, it was it was difficult because also I was involved with uh, traveling with the team in those days, which you certainly couldn't do now. Um, and that was great. That was a, well, not quite such a thrill then because I, I got a bit older and was more familiar with it all and so on. But uh, I did travel with the team and um, uh, I was part of the party with old Fred May, who was the secretary for many, many, many years, uh, sort of conned me into writing the program, editing the program and, and, um, and doing the PA. And uh, in return, he let me be part of the party on away trips. Made it a bit difficult then uh, with the players because you, you'd, you'd know things that the fans wouldn't know. You know, they'd, they'd say, oh, George had a bad game on Saturday, didn't he? And I'd happen to know that George had a really bad headache. But because in those days, they only had 11 players and one sub, uh, he had to play, especially if it was an away game. Um, and you'd find, you know, somebody else was, was playing with an injury um, or, or somebody had a personal problem at home or some, you know, somebody was ill in the family or something. And so you'd, you'd have all these things going on. Um, but to the fan who just watched the game, well, it had a rubbish game. Goodness me. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you have to balance it out. And, uh, and one or two of the players had a, had a little go at me. Um, one who always did was Dave Bridger. Um, I don't know if you remember quite Dave Bridger. I bumped into him again years later. He's a vice president at Southampton now. And, uh, yeah, Dave used to give me a stick. Um, but none of the others. The others did. I think, again, most of them were honest. They knew if they'd had a bad game. Um, and you, you generally criticise them in the Chronicle. And uh, they would appreciate that, you know, there's a job to do there. But it's uh, pleasing all the fans was never easy because, uh, as I say, everybody's got a different view of the game. And of course, you you, uh, you you talked about those times when people would say, oh, "What are you going to write about?" Because 
that they had to wait until the end of the week, didn't they, for the paper right, yeah. in those days? It um, was, yeah, yeah. So, and, and also that also the um, the team for Saturday was another one. You know, I'd be, uh, I mean, and I was quite quite at dinner with the girlfriend, and uh, somebody would sidle over and say, "What's the team going to be on Saturday?" Uh, I'm not quite sure, mate. <laughs> it just that was good, and um, yeah, my little moment of fame. I mean, never had a bit of fame now and again, don't they? And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've been anonymous ever since. So. Well, you talked about a bit of fame, and, and you actually trained with the team, didn't you? Can you oh, remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that was a one-off. Um, again, having said that, I travelled with the team. We used to um, uh, sometimes in those days. It was the fixtures were worked out quite well. In that, if you had a long trip up to, to say Workington or Carlisle, um, the fixtures were such that if that was a Friday night or a Saturday on the Monday, you would play somewhere else up north so that the team could stay up there. And, uh, yeah, I remember one, one weekend we played at Workington and um, uh, stayed over for a game at Doncaster on the Monday. And, of course, they wanted to you know, a bit of training in between. Um, and, as I say, in those days, they only had 11 players. and I'm not even sure they had one sub in those days. Only had the players. Anyway, I was roped in as the, as the spare goalkeeper in a six-a-side, and uh, I do recall um, letting Pat Terry have the ball now and again when it was coming in from uh, a nice high ball into the area. I don't think I would really challenge Pat Terry for that. I don't know. Do you remember, Pat? I mean, No, no, before, before. Oh, my time, goodness. But... Talk about a tank. But he was actually brilliant in the air as well. I mean, he wasn't just, you know, didn't just flatten people. He, he jumped two feet above them. Yeah. Um, absolutely terrific in the air, Pat Terry. Um, and some of the older fans will, will for sure know that. And, um, but, uh, and you, you, you wouldn't argue with it. You want the ball, Pat, you have the ball. Yeah, yeah. well, I, do, I certainly remember talking of um, Terry. I remember Terry Herlock. Oh, um, yeah, another one, yeah. Billy, yeah. Billy Whitehurst, um, Kevin Bremner, players like that. Mm. Um, but, Percy, so, Freeman. Percy Freeman's another one. Yeah, yeah. But sort of moving into the into the seventies, some of some of Reading star players, and 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 even the, the the younger fans who you know never never saw some of these players play, they they will know about them. You know the likes of Steve Death, Robin Friday, yeah. Steve Metzky, Richard Blackman, um, sorry, oh. Richard, Richard Bowman, um, Kerry Dixon, of course, Neil Webb, Laurie Sanchez. I mean that that was kind of that sort of group of players and the likes of Laurie Sanchez won the FA Cup with Wimbledon, Neil Webb went on yeah. Man United, Kerry Dixon to Chelsea. You know, we all know about Robin Friday and Steve Death. It must have been fantastic to not only be a Reading yeah. fan, but to, you know, report on those players. Mm. Oh, indeed. Yeah, no, the, the, you mentioned, yeah, some real stars there. Well, Webby went on to play for England, didn't he? As you say, Sanch played for Northern Ireland, didn't he? And... Um, Terry, Dixon, Terry, 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 of course, yeah. yeah. yeah Terry, yeah. I thought, um, I thought Kerry could have had a longer England career than he did. And I think he only played three or four games for England. But I really thought at the time when he was he was scoring goals for fun uh, yeah. for Chelsea that he could have played more for England. And uh, goodness knows why they didn't you know, put yeah. him in there. But um, but no, he was he was. And Sanchez, I think the Wimbledon winning goal was probably his only header, wasn't it? The only headed goal he ever scored. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, he scored. Another funny, another funny Laurie Sanchez story. He made his debut for Reading when he was 16, 
and he was still at Presentation College. And um, I remember he had to bunk off school early one Wednesday afternoon to, uh, to play in the evening, make his debut. And uh, yeah, and went on from there. And Neil Webb, until the even sillier Neil Webb story, having said about travelling with the team, I think it was when Hereford played their first game in the Football League. And um, in those days, again, on, on uh, various games, there'd be a special train from Reading. Um, the team had gone separately, and I went on the supporters' train. And I travelled with Joan Webb, um, Doug's wife, Neil's mum. And uh, Neil, who was about two, sat on my knee the, <laughs> looking out the train window. So um, I reminded him of that as well a few years ago. <laughs> with Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But yeah, apart from babysitting, I've also done a few things. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you've obviously mentioned Elm Park and your days as a, as a fan, but for... Um, for those fans who didn't get the chance to go to Empire, there, there are plenty that um, that did, of course. But how how would you sum up the atmosphere of Elm Park? You know, compared to Medeski Stadium and um, so that Carlisle Stadium, as it's called now, it, it was a special atmosphere, wasn't it? I mean, how would you? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I would. Well, yeah, I would probably be controversial and say the atmosphere was better there than it is at the Manstead. Um I think the, the the South Bank in particular. Um, going right back just quickly on the on the PA thing, my father-in-law Fred Edwards actually um, uh, was on the PA in the nineteen fifties, and he used to have a rapport with what he called uh, his boys under the clock. So the South Bank, right back even then. Uh, was the place to be and uh, to go and have a sing and a shout. And then, um, of course, all the way through and then uh, the support jokes he used to get going down that wing. Yeah. Wing yeah. Uh, yeah. The atmosphere. Uh, again, I remember in the late 70s, I'd left the Chronicle. I was working in London. Uh, would sometimes get home too late to go to the game, lived in Caversham. Um, but if there was half an hour to go, you could always tell in Caversham when they'd scored. Because yeah. you could hear it. <laughs> You could absolutely hear it. And, um, yeah, oh, no, it's just a fantastic atmosphere there. South Bank, I mean, even the Tyler End, it was never quite the same when you had to have one end for the away fans and and so on. Because, again, uh, in the days when I started, you could just walk around the stadium. It was before um, before all the aggro stuff, and yeah, it wasn't a problem. You, you didn't just have to be in one particular spot. Mm. And, and we mentioned Roger. We mentioned um, some of the great players who've played for Reading, but um, plenty of good managers as well. You know, going all, all the way yeah. back to um, you know before the likes of even Ian Bramford, and um, and then obviously Steve Coppel and uh, Brian McDermott. I mean, there were some some good managers. Like um, you know, talk about some of the the managers that really made an impact for, for Reading in terms of the club's history? 
Um, well, again, picking up from where I started, the manager then was Ted Drake. And Ted Drake went on, he was very successful at Reading, went on to manage Chelsea. Um, and when he left, I think it was Harry Johnston came in. And Harry Johnston then was a, a legend with Blackpool and England. And um, he was, uh, again, before your time, but the, the famous 1953 Stanley Matthews final at Wembley. Harry Johnston was the one who was carried round Wembley with the cup and 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 again meeting him was a, an absolute thrill and and then you know sitting down just to chat to him you know about tomorrow's game or whatever uh, was fantastic. Um after Harry was uh, Roy Bentley and um, Roy was an absolutely smashing fellow. He's um in fact he, he left us a couple of years ago Roy um, and I really wish I'd got to, to chat to him before he before he went. Um, he was um, from Bristol originally, and another legend. But what a, a modest bloke, you know. And this, this is what I liked about those old time guys. Um, they were not the great hams that some of them are today, you know. I mean, Roy Bentley played for England, played Chelsea, captain Chelsea. In fact, the last time they won the title before their more recent one. Um, but so modest and uh, chat to anybody and, uh, and so on. I'm not a bad manager either, I have to say. I looked up earlier, the um, just by way of a bit of homework, the most successful manager, and you won't uh, really guess the one who is equal top uh, on that is Jimmy Wallbanks. <laughs> Jimmy Wallbanks took over. He was the trainer, what they called the trainer in those days and uh, he took over when Roy left and uh, for about 10, 12 games. So it wasn't a fluke. We had a 50% win rate, which equals anything. It's better than Steve Koppel, better than Brian McDermott um, and so on. Um, in fact, I'm just looking, the only other one, the chap called Joe Smith in the 50s had a 50% success and beyond that, nobody else. Yeah, the 40s, even Steve Koppel, as I say. And, and Roger, I just want to ask you about Morris Evans because if you if you look back at Reading's history, you know, going back many years, it was Division Four, Division Three. You know, used to go up and down between those two divisions, the equivalent of League Two and League One now. And then it was kind of Morris Evans, where what happened next? That that's sort of where it started, I, I guess, was with Morris Evans. Um, yeah, what do you remember about him? Morris, another smashing bloke, um, really nice fellow. He was one of those, again, going back on the older uh, teams, you would find that the vast majority of the team, 50s, 60s, 70s, were local people. They were local guys who identified with the area, loved the club and had been, like myself, had been a fan when they were at school and, uh, and had come through to, to play. And Morris was one of those. He went off for a while to manage Shrewsbury and um, with, I think it was with Harry Gregg. And uh, they were not too popular there because they were um, a little bit of the ilk of Leeds of that time, where good team, but they did kick everything that moved. And uh, it was Morris came back to Elm Park one night and I think Reading finished with about nine men. Um, and Morris, uh, all, all, Though being Morris, he still got booed um, for, for you know being part of a Shrewsbury team that that really wasn't too popular. 
but then he came back again as manager and of course the crowd loved him and uh, yeah he, he was a, a Reading legend and uh, rightly so as a player and a manager. Uh, and I want to um, ask you about John Medeski, but I'd like to do it in two parts if that's okay. So we'll we'll come to you know the uh, the time when he sort of took over the stadium and and what happened since. But I, I know you remember him from from the very early days, and he was mm. originally a sales rep on the Reading Evening Post, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. so, can right. you remember like the first time that that you met him and what what your impression of him was? Um, yes, I mean John at the time. The people from the Post and the Chronicle used to sort of socialise. We had a, a press football team that had you know, players from both places. And, yeah, although we were sort of rivals, it was always friendly stuff. Um, I remember John, yeah, as a, as a rep. And uh, he actually was working at that time. My wife was in the same department. Susan was in the same department. And uh, when John left to start the trader... Susan went with him and uh, Paul Gibbons went with him and Susan went with him as sales manager and Paul Gibbons as partner in the business. And uh, one of my great regrets, uh, just to, to go off another tangent, is that Sue's dad, Fred of the PA fame, uh, had a chance to invest in John's company and decided it wasn't going to work. So uh, that was a uh, yes. Mm-mm. Not too good. But no, John John went on and made a huge success with yeah. the trader. Um, didn't have any known interest in football in those days at all. He just um he was yeah, he was he was a keen businessman and uh yeah, he, he was always gonna one day make it in some form or other. And he went to Los Angeles on holiday, came back with this idea, having seen it in Los Angeles, and um yeah, it went on from there, made his fortune and uh and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. And taking it back to the, the football and, you know, we've talked about managers like Morris Evans. And, of course, Reading hadn't won a title for more than 50 years until um, 1979. Um, no, yeah. what, um, what was that team and, and the players like in, in that season? I think it was that was a sort of transition period when you started getting players in um, who were not necessarily local. Um, they they were never great investors in the transfer market, Reading, um, not at that stage anyway. Um, but they just started to bring in uh, players at that time who could make a difference and uh, and just jog it along a bit from from what had gone before. And uh, and Morris got the best out of them um, through being. As I say, he was an A1 nice bloke, but he was also uh, quite firm when he had to be. And, um, yeah, he, he just led that team brilliantly. And uh, there is a, a legendary photograph of uh, of Morris with a cigar and myself and your dad and Morris O'Brien, uh, the local press corps, Jeff Thompson. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, Graham Nicholas, of course, who's been on your show recently. Graham at that time was, uh, was on the post. Well, yeah, saw, it was a great team and a great manager. I, I, saw, I saw that. I saw that photo at my my dad's funeral. So Brian Roach, former Reading director, my dad, um, and uh, yourself, and a few of the others. And we're, I'm going to ask you about that later as well. But I saw that photo at the funeral. I think one of you, you or one of the others, bought yeah, it yeah. along that that famous photo. Um, 
my dad had a brawl there with a cigar and, and Morrison's got a good yeah yeah big cigar yeah. um, one of the one of the things that I really wanted to ask you about Roger and and I know the fans will be really interested in this because this was pivotal in if you think of pivotal moments in Reading's history this was certainly one of them um, I think it was 1983 wasn't it the proposed merger mm. so what are your memories of that initial meeting with with Roger Smee and, and my dad because I think was it the three of you in that initial meeting um yes I think Morris O'Brien was there as well um Morris was with Reading News Agency but yeah it was, it was yeah basically that and uh, no that that afternoon um I'd left the Chronicle um and at various times we're doing freelance work uh for the Press Association and various others, the Swindon Football Pink and, and so on. And I was there that afternoon doing the match for, I can't remember if they were playing, somebody like Stockport or, or somebody. And it was a pretty poor game. And uh, about 20 minutes from the end, the Press Association phoned. Uh, I, I answered the phone and thought, yeah, there might be a minute. But no more goals. And he said, no, no, I'm not interested in goals. Uh, he said, what I want to know is about Robert Maxwell taking over the club and merging it with Oxford United. I said, no, got me there, don't know anything at all about that. And uh, he said, well, yeah, he said, Maxwell's put a statement out. It's there in black and white. We've got it here in front of us, he said. They are going to merge Reading and Oxford United. They're going to be called Thames Valley Royals, and they're going to play at Didcot. They're going to make a stadium at Didcot. So uh, news to me. Anyway, so he said, well, can you go and get a quote from the chairman? So I said, well, 20 minutes to go, you know, I can't necessarily... He said, go, just go and uh, gate crash it. So I climbed over all the blooming seats down to the director's box and um, said to Frank Waller, uh, I've had a, a chap on from the Press Association saying that Robert Maxwell says you're going to merge with Oxford United. And he said, no, no, rubbish, rubbish. Nothing in that at all, nothing. No, I don't know what the man's on about. Uh, and of course, later that evening, it, it did become confirmed. Meanwhile, um, Roger Smee was at a match that day at Tottenham, and um, again, by complete coincidence, uh, was talking to Graham Nicholas. And um, Graham had told him what had, had gone down with Maxwell, and Roger, who was a staunch Reading fan, Reading boy, all of it was absolutely furious, and um, uh, said straight away, "Can't let it happen! Can't let it happen!" And he, he phoned me and said, look, right, what are we going to do? Who, who can we talk to? What do you, you know, well. And um, that evening, we went round to Roger's house. Yeah, it was Roger, your dad, myself, and I think Morris O'Brien from the news agency because he had contacts that we didn't. Um, and we, yeah, had a council of war and we, uh, I knew some people at Match of the Day and we got it on there. And we got the, the Roger's side of the story on there saying that, you know, Maxwell might have announced it, but doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. And, um, um, yeah, we stayed there to about three in the morning. And then we met periodically, and, and Roger brought in some some really heavyweight lawyers. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that eventually did the trick, because Robert Maxwell, who I subsequently worked for later, um, was not a great fan of uh, of losing. Mm. And, um, yeah, he, he, well, I mean, there were some serious goings on the next few weeks. Uh, and bizarrely, Reading had to play at Oxford in the meantime. But uh, no, the fans at both clubs uh, put up terrific protests. 
yeah, never going to work. And, uh, it's a bit like, you know, it was that that day's version or, or that year's version of the what we've seen recently with the Super League, I guess. There was that much passion against it happening yeah. from oh, absolutely, the yeah. fans as well. Mm. Oh, no, no, no. There was a big parade through the middle of Reading and the same with Oxford. And the, the day that Oxford played Reading, there was another big demo there. Um, and But it, it was still only a, a Smee's uh, cuteness with lawyers. Um, he, he, as I say, he found some angles that, um, in terms of getting hold of shares that uh, Frank Waller, I think, thought that he controlled, and he actually didn't. And um, the Smee was able to get those shares. But at that time, it wasn't only the directors who had the shares. There were a lot of people, um, traditionally families around Reading, who'd had shares handed down from uh, year to year. And Smee was able to, to corral all those. And uh, as I say, with legal advice as well, he, um, he managed to um, see him off. And eventually Frank Waller resigned on the back of it. And... Um, and Robert Maxwell went away with the, his tail between his legs, which, um, yeah. And I have a recollection of, um, I think I've got this right. At, at one point, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I think um, Ian Gillen from the, I think it was a lead singer of Deep Purple or someone like that. Yeah. At no, one no. point he was trying to become chairman, wasn't he? That was, yeah, that was before Maxwell. Um, yeah, so when he lived at Pangbourne, Ian Gillen. And um, I don't know. I don't know if it was a publicity stunt for a record he had coming out or, or what it was, but it never never got near fruition. Um, but no, it certainly was um, was something that was out there for a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, and he was talking about it, yeah. All right. Well, Roger, I think what we're going to do is we will split this up into two parts. So I've got loads of great stuff that I still want to talk to you about and get your your thoughts, your memories and your insight as well, including the record-breaking Royals, obviously, you know, memorable games, the Simul Cup final, the successful team in the 90s under Mark McGee, some some more John Medesi stuff, some stories that you've got, um, Yuri Geller as well, John Medesi selling the club, quite a lot still to talk about. So rather than turn this into one long episode, it'd be great to... Uh, to do a part two with you, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, if you're happy to do that. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Yeah, and I've enjoyed doing it, and um, it's good fun. I really admire what you've done, by the way, with the podcast. Oh, I think you. very kind, terrific guests on there, and uh, yeah, I'm honoured to be among them. Yeah, thank you, Roger. Well, um, Roger, thanks very much for that, and a reminder for the listeners that our guest on tomorrow's episode is John Mackey, and that's available from. 6.30pm tomorrow. So, Roger, thanks again for joining us. We'll, we'll do part two in, in the next couple of weeks. Um, fantastic to have you on a, as a guest and looking forward to part two. Thanks, Mark. I enjoyed it. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.